We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to US News and World Report, we're the 25th top paying career. Make an impact as a fact seeker and a truth teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. Recorded live. Well, I'd like to welcome you to a night of Redneck Pride uh, Outdoors. We'll talk about hunting, trapping, and fishing, and uh, God's creation here uh, in the Northeast and throughout the nation. We've got a, quite a few guys on here tonight. We're talking about uh, dog-proof traps. It's going to be a question and answer night. So we hopefully uh, a lot of folks are going to get on here. We got Donovan on. We got Bill Ford. We got uh, Kevin Dam. We got Ron Deal. I got a few guests guests uh, listening in. Somebody uh, guest number uh, seven is from Sussex. That's cool. So any of you guys that's just listening, if you have some questions, there at the bottom of that uh, page there, you see a box. Just type that question in and hit the green arrow, and I'll read it and we'll we'll throw it out there. Uh, Sean's not going to be able to make it on tonight. He's, he's sick as a dog, he said, and, and uh, I guess he's drinking his soup and whatever else. Hopefully he feels better. Uh, it's kind of, we'll, we'll get talking tonight. Tonight's show was brought to you by Rednecks Game Calls and Outdoor Sense. Uh, we offer baits and lures for the trapping in the ADC fields. We hear sense, uh, game calls for waterfowl and predator calling and you name it. Well, that's enough of that infomercial. So let's get going. Uh, Dan, how, or, or Kevin, how the heck are you doing tonight, buddy? Uh, so I've been trying to keep warm. Yeah, what's the temperature up there? Um, I don't know what it is right now. I think we're high of 7 today. Um, we were low of 16 below last night. <sighs> wow. Man, I'm feeling bad at 3 below last night. Uh, so no room no, no <laughs> crawling around up here. <laughs> you got a lot of snow on the ground? Um, not really. Not for the time of year. Okay. All right. Bill Ford, how are you making out tonight? Oh, I'm wonderful. Wonderful? You keep warm? Wonderful. That's the heater of a long john. That 15 inches of snow is starting to melt just a little bit. You're probably down to about 12 now, right? Me? No, we actually we probably didn't get five really in fair and well then again oh, the, well. the drift the drift over on the other side of yours where the wind blew is about seventeen, so it's hard to tell around <laughs> here really. Fox looks The boy and I was down in uh uh Millville and then went down to uh Maze Landing area last night to call and we was driving in a good twelve 13 inches of, of, of snow, so it was pretty deep there. Yeah, right um, on the other side of Millville, the line went through. Right, right. Yeah. That's, they, they got a lot of stuff over on that end of it. Ron Deal, how you making out, man? Good, we're hanging in there. Now, I know you got the snow, right? Yeah, we got like 16, 17 inches the other day. <laughs> you can keep it, too, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> right, on the, right on the coast. Yeah, well, well, the, your temperature is about the same as mine. You're only about an hour east of me, but I think you're you're. I'm pushing right around 12 degrees right now. What are you? What are you yeah. pushing at? 14. Yeah. 14. A little warmer. Without, without the wind. Without the wind. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> and Donovan, you're way down in the sunny state of Mississippi. Yeah, it, it, it's that's wrong. <laughs> you're probably warm, aren't you? Uh, I don't know about that global warming, but it's been. Uh, I haven't been wearing a t-shirt like I usually do. <laughs> I'm in long johns and bib overhauls and all that other stuff when I'm walking around outside. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, we have some. We have ice and snow. I didn't know what to do with that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> your your coon probably went into shock down there. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't even put traps out. I just set all my traps off and went back in the house for two weeks. <laughs> okay. Well, listen. Tonight's show for those who's listening in. Uh, we're going to be talking questions and answers for uh, dog-proof traps. Um, a while back, I did a show on uh, advanced DP traps, and uh, and Sean and I did a show on on dog-proof traps. So, as I was as I'm looking at Trapper Man, and I'm talking to trappers throughout the state of New Jersey and all that, the one thing I noticed was trappers are either catching a bunch of coon in them. They're not catching anything at all, and and um, you know as I as I as I uh, sit down and and and, and talk to guys in depth, trying to figure out why somebody isn't catching something, um, it's it's perplexing. But then I can you know you can start to see a pattern going on, and I'll give you an example. We had a um, a trapping course here back in in October for the state of New Jersey, and, and uh, we had, uh, one of the instructors had placed out uh, dog proofs, and everywhere he placed out a dog proof, he put out a uh, cage strap. And when we came back with the course the next day, the cage straps held the coon, but the dog proofs that was only five, ten feet from the cage didn't. And as I was looking at the scenario and the situation, that we was in, I could plainly see why things wasn't happening um, with the dog proofs. But the um, the person pulled me aside and, and said to me, "I, I and, and don't get this old, this trapper's a trapper, okay? He, this this old boy can can catch some fur." And he said to me, "He goes, I'm having the hardest time with the dog proofs." And I had looked at him and I said, "That's because you're thinking snares, okay?" And and that's what it exactly what it was. The 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 cage trap setting there was this great big old visual thing. The uh, raccoon walking down that trail or that that stream bank or where that road or whatever. Here's this great big old cage. It's an eye appeal. It's it's it sticks out like a sore thumb. The amount of bait that was thrown into the trap, you had, you now have a, a lot of uh, odor um, around the trap. And, you know, the, the uh, cage trap was within five feet, which is what I like within, uh, with the uh, walking distance of the, of the trail. So the cage was the first thing to pull those, that coon into it, where the DP trap was pulled off just a little bit, you know, um, not as much bait was used into it, and there was a couple of negatives that that happened. So the cage was going to outproduce the DPs in those situations. So tonight, I know Bill Ford will come up with a hundred thousand different questions. I have no idea what he's going to come up with. But as as and 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 I asked Donovan to get on there because he's down in the south, and and Donovan's a pretty good trapper, and he and he does a few of these podcasts himself. So 
Donovan, thank you for coming on with me. Um, and, and and I'm going to get you to add questions or, or add your perspective as, of a Southern boy down there. Kevin Dan, again, Kevin Dan and I go way back probably in the 2008-2009 time frame is doing podcasts for Rod Russell. So Kevin is on the other spectrum in that godforsaken cold weather that's always up there, it seems like. And um, get Kevin to add some, some stuff to that and, and get things rolling. So uh, just to get the ball rolling, Bill Ford, I'm going to open it up to you because you, you told me you have a bunch of questions. I want you to uh, throw out some questions, and then, you know, if anybody is on here that wants to just throw in there and, and answer it, please do. If not, I'll, I'll either dazzle with brilliance or baffle with BS, whatever we got to do. Um, but Go ahead, Bill. Why don't you take it? Because you said you had a few questions. Yeah, but now I'm trying to get uh, Chris and Pete to get on your thing. Um, <laughs> going back to your uh, first thing, you said about the, the, I use more cages than dog foods anyway. I'm just using them because I like to try different things. Um, let's start in part of them. I had a conversation with a guy the other day. Um, these guys are convinced to cat food and fish oil. All right. Um, I know you like to taste baits, which isn't fish oil because that tastes like dookie. How do you go about baiting, you personally, go about baiting a dog poop trap in, let's just say, normal everyday weather, like 30 degrees on a regular old not windy night? Um, are you talking early or, or late? Right now. Well, Early season. Right, now, right now it's breeding season. So let's go two weeks ago before the breeding season. I don't want to take away your breeding season secrets. <laughs> no, I'm going to give them out. <laughs> if, if, if I'm asked directly, I'll give them out. Um, <laughs> when, 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 for me personally, okay, and, and, and again, I'm going to be different probably than most, most guys out there. But in, I'll take it from the beginning of your trapping season straight on up to freeze or, or not even whenever your coon go into den. Um, and in South Jersey, they very seldom go into den. That's the first thing. And Donovan's coon probably never go into den either. But um, typically what I'm going to do is I'm going to have that dog proof right in the trail or right next to the trail. I, I don't, I don't want to, and Bill, you've heard me say this before, I do not pull coon more than five feet. Uh, too much can happen in a coon's brain in 10 feet, 20 feet, okay? They could they could be intent on coming to you, and 20 feet later, or, you know, in that 20 feet, God knows what's going to happen, and they could just veer right on off, and they're like ADD. Um, so I'm, I'm putting that dog proof right there in the trail, okay? I used to use marshmallows in the bottom. Okay, and the reason I used marshmallows in the bottom was for one reason and one reason only. It held the bait or it held the scent in the marshmallow. But what I found out in in our weather here is that the rain will make that marshmallow turn to bush, and not all raccoons will pull that trigger, and they would just pull that marshmallow and, and feed on it and lick it and what have you. What I've changed to now is I use the uh, the hollow fill or, or fiber fill. You know, it's the um, 
the pillow stuffing, but I don't use the cotton stuff. I use it in a, my wife calls it a batten. It comes in a sheet, and it's about an inch, inch and a half thick, um, the one I use. And then I'll just take my, my shears, and I will cut it in um, uh, blocks that's just uh, big enough that i got to shove them down into the trap, and they're not going to come out easy without pulling that uh, trigger up. So I'll pull the trigger up. I'll shove that thing down in there. And the reason I like the hollow fill is because, or the polyfill, whatever you want to call it, is if I put my bait on it or I put my lure on it, uh, it's it sucks into it and it stays there. And I can I can sometimes, depending on on the weather and, and all that, I've I've been known to catch three or four coon without rebaiting the uh, trap because it's it's hard to pull that stuff out. When we're talking about the uh, types of baits, Bill, you know, I'm going to tell you, I'm sweet bait. Um, I want to. I want a food. I want a food taste bait, personally, and I want it to be sweet. Ninety-nine percent of the time, I very, 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 very seldom will ever use um, cat food or, or fish food. Um, I'm not saying it won't work. That's not what I'm saying. There's a lot of guys catch a lot of coon on fish food and cat food and dog food and everything else. But me personally, I just go with the sweets. And the reason I go with the sweets is probably from the ADC work that I've done. I've never seen a coon, no matter what the weather conditions, pass up a tasty cake, a oatmeal raisin bar, a cupcake, a piece of cake, a cookie, something on a sweet, sweet uh, end of it. Now, the problem with using those types of baits is the weather breaks them down real fast. So um, the baits I use, obviously, are going to be mine, okay? And they're going to be either the Banana Supreme or the Nomos or the, or the uh, Gutter or, or, or something like that if I'm using a bait. And I'll put the bait down on top of the hollow fill if I'm, if I'm using a bait now, okay? And then I'm going to, on the lip of the trap... I'm going to put a lure. Typically, it's going to be persimmon, uh, purple passion, whatever. A lot of guys use vanilla, um, honey, whatever. But I'm going to put that on the lip. I'm going to put that on the on the the lip of the trap, and then right above the trap. And I'll just go ahead and say it. No matter what time of year, uh, I'm going to use a call lure. And I'll either use a strong smelling fish oil or a small uh, or a coon lure at that point, which is usually going to be what I call a carrier. Sometimes I'll use beaver caster. Um, sometimes I'll use <laughs> gland lure. As a matter of fact, a lot of times I use gland lure. Um, no matter no matter what time of year, summer, winter, fall, spring, it doesn't matter to me. Gland lure is one of the best coon attractants out there, and I'll and I'll usually put that six eight inches above the trap. Um, on a tree, if I got a tree there and there, a branch or something like that. If I do not have, if I'm sitting out in a field or something like that, which I do set a lot of DPs along roads, you know, farm farm field roads and wood lanes and stuff like that, where there's no trees. Um, 
I will actually take a wire, shove the wire down in the ground with a scent holder hanging from it, which will serve as a eye attractor and as a scent holder. And I'll put the lure a foot above the uh, hanging, just above the trap, like that. If I'm not using a bait, okay, I'm going to go straight hollow fill or something like that down inside. All right, and then I'm going to take my taste lures. I want to put one taste lure. Say I'll use say I'll use persimmon for the. I'll use sweet corn. I'll put sweet corn down inside the bottom of it. On the lip, I'll put uh, persimmon, and then I'll put another call lure or something like that above the trap. Answer the question. Yep. Now back to your baiting. You said about you. Uh... Use a little hollow fill just under the trigger. Um, so I see different people. I'm not, like you say, you can't tell everybody they're wrong or everybody's right. The guys that use, like, let's just say somebody's using cat food and fish oil. How far above the trigger do you fill it? Um, I see guys fill the tube all the way to the top. I see guys, and this goes for both push-pull and pull-only triggers because some people are going to be listening to use the push-pull. Um, how far, you know, you stay low. It's, that's your preference. You know, some guys, how far, do you fill the tube all the way or do you go let them taste some before they get to the trigger? Okay, well, here again, you know, you can't tell a guy who's got success that he's doing wrong because it's it, because you just can't do that. Me personally, okay, now, again, and, and here's a claimer for the Jersey boys listening. New Jersey cannot use anything but a pool system, okay? Uh, Pennsylvania, New York, Mississippi, probably up, most other states can use a push-pull system or they can use a push system. There's three types of systems out there. And it's important, I, and for me, if I'm in Jersey, I'm using a pool system only, if I'm trapping over to PA, I haven't trapped there this year, but, you know, in the past, last year and the year before last, um, I will use my push-pull systems over there. And no matter what, whether it's a push-pull for me, for me only, um, if it's a push-pull pull or push system and I'm using cat food or, or even I'm using my coon powder, um, which is uh, it's a dry, attractive powder that the coon love to eat. If I'm using that, I'm going to only fill it to the bottom of the trigger for me personally, all right? Um, and the reason I do that is I don't want to feed the coon. I want to snack the coon. I want, I want the coon to keep reaching in and out and in and out. And if he, and if he um, gets, you know, I don't even filling himself up in other words. All right, I, I want that. I want. I want him to keep reaching in there, and the less that's in there, the more the chance, if you will, that he's going to grab that trigger and pull it up, or he's going to grab the hollow fill, which and pull that up, which is going to set the trigger off. Agree on my personal, my my personal, my personal thoughts. Anybody okay. got anything else to add to that? Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Donovan or Kevin or Ron, you got anything to add to that? 
Um, I'll just kind of tell what we do up here in the northern country. Um, a lot of times when we start to get snow, then our coon, I call it get put up or go den. Um, but what I usually do is I like to run my line kind of fast. I'm a private land trapper only. Uh, I do trap along uh, a lot of waterways. Uh, with my DPs, what I like to do is put a sheep wool in the bottom. Uh, I use that as my wick. And I call it a wick because it holds the fish oil that I use. So what I do is I go through to, to quote, rebate my DPs, is I just take my sprayer and I spray my fish oil in on and around the DP, and then I rebate it with a marshmallow on top, and I call that eye appeal. Okay, some guys like to paint their DPs or dog proof, whatever, however you want to refer to them as. Um, paint them for eye appeal and color. I mean, you get that question all the time. Uh, can we use, like, uh, Rust-Oleum paint? Or can we – it doesn't matter what you use. Uh, coon aren't that um, shy with that, especially when it comes to food. So mainly what I just wanted to say is I use sheep wool as a wick, and I use fish oil um, basically with either glycol or glycerin, um, and then the eye appeal of a marshmallow. I'm uh, getting ready to start you trying this, this sheep wool. I have a, a friend that uh, just told me he she, he shears his sheep and throws the wool out, so I asked him to uh, you know keep it for me, and he said he would do that. And the reason I do like the fish uh, the uh, the the wool is it's got a natural odor to it, um, which is very attractive to raccoons and probably foxes and everything else, but. I don't know when guys uh, shear their sheep around here and they'll just leave the uh, the wool on the ground that it's not uncommon for the raccoons to come and just play in it or, you know, pull it apart or try to, you know, do whatever they can to it. So I'm I'm going to try the, the, the sheep wool um, this yeah. in, in this next year when he shears in the spring here. Yeah, also, sheep wool has a, a natural oil to it called lanolin. Yeah. Um, and before it gets shipped off to market, as long as you get it fresh off the sheep, uh, it has ample oil already in it. And like you say, it has the aroma of sheep. And it doesn't take nothing for a fish oil or a spray type of, uh, we'll call it a lure, to to adhere to that. So I, like I said, I just spray my DP with it around the trap a little bit. And then uh, more of it goes down the what I call the throat of the trap, and it goes on to that sheep wool, and then I appeal with a marshmallow. Um, basically, what I do with my traps is I just boil them, um, if you want to call it dye them, uh, so they're kind of dark in color. And with that white marshmallow on top along a trail, riverbank, uh, any place like that uh, is ideal. Yeah, and, and and again, I'm going to use the uh, the I I like marshmallows on top too. I will use all, also golf balls, but mm -hmm. I'm using the marshmallow also, like you said, as an eye appeal. Okay, it's a, it stands out like a sore thumb. Right. But I I found that mice will chew on the marshmallow, but they won't push through it to get down into the trap and and, and take the bait out. And that's another reason I use the hollow fill at the bottom because the mice can pull that out. So, I mean, I, I like the marshmallows, but, again, it's the marshmallow is not a bait for me. It's not a bait. It is a eye appeal or a mouse uh, block, if you will. Plus, right. by put, putting the marshmallow on top, I can tell if a raccoon has come to the dog proof and not worked inside the trap, in other words. Um, 
the raccoon will always take the marshmallow, and if it doesn't eat it, he'll at least knock it off. Um, and I can always tell if something has been there to uh, uh, and and not work the trap. Yeah, I use a jack macro as well um, occasionally, um, just for a stronger, longer-lasting smell uh, or original fish smell. Uh, like I said, I do trap ditches and waterways, so uh, it's kind of an ideal uh, one-on-one kind of a thing. You uh, you don't trap up on top? Uh, once in the blue moon, I mean, uh, I usually like to trap the lowlands because that's where our cooler are the primest uh, early on. And then once they prime up good, which would be the first part of November, um, I start land trapping. And, and a lot of that is uh, bucket sets. I hate to get off on a different subject, but um, when I highland trap, I use bucket sets more than I do DPs. Yeah, well, and, and again, with the killer traps, I know down in Mississippi and down in the south, they can use the killer traps. So um, that's that's a nice uh, tool if you can if you can use it without problems with uh, non-targets. Here in Jersey, sure. we'll be in trouble. <laughs> we, yeah. it, it would be a bad situation here. Ron, yeah. you want to add anything as, to that? As we always talk about um, region to region or state to state, um, always check your own regs. Uh, you may hear on a podcast something that you're going to say is taboo for your area. So basically, uh, just collect the information that's best for your area. Probably 60, or 60 to 75% of my coon will come from what I call upland or dry, dry sets. Um, I know Billy Ford. He most of his coon are probably coming from up up top too. Uh, Ron Deal, uh, how about you? Are you down by the water, or are you going to yeah, get we're now we're by the water. Most of the stuff here too is around the bay, right? So I mean, even before we got the dog proof in, we were doing the cages. I noticed that if you use a lot of fish around the bay and stuff, you did better with the sweet baits. It seems like the, the yeah. change of uh, menu helped out a lot. So, yeah, I I I I hear a lot of guys, and I'm not disagreeing with it, but I, I it's somewhat I do. Um, a lot of folks say give them what they're used to eating, but but what I found is yeah, be a kid, you know, treat them as a kid in a candy store. Um, give them that, give them that sweet where they're used to eating that that fish or that whatever. When you give them that little bit of sweet tooth, they they tend to around me anyway. Uh, I I have had two cages or two GP set, one with fish and one with uh, sweets, and and I can honestly tell you, most of the time I'm going to have either coon in both of them or going to be one in the sweet. Um, that's me personally, okay. And again, there's going to be somebody who's going to be totally different, the opposite direction. And and Kevin, you're a prime example because you use some fish oil or or the other stuff, correct? Yeah, yeah. I always say what works for you might not work for me, or vice versa. And you know, give it a try. Uh, think out of the box when you're trapping. Uh, don't just follow somebody else's routine because uh, different regions they they all act different. You know. Well, Donovan, you got back on, and 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 I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw you under the bus right now. What what's you probably didn't get a chance to hear what the conversation was, so you're probably lost, right? Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I don't know what's wrong with the phone right now. 
<laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll hang you in a few minutes when you've had a chance to listen. <laughs> I, won't, I won't do it to you on this point. All right, Billy, did that answer the questions, or do you have anything you want to throw today? I know, Billy, you, you've got some no, control in there. Go ahead. that answers mine. I'm, I'm asking questions that everybody else is asking. Basically, I'm a first-year trapper trying to catch raccoons. Um, where do I go look for a raccoon? I mean, I see people, they say they got, I got tracked out for a week and haven't caught a coon. What am I doing wrong? Okay, first of all, you're probably not doing anything wrong, okay? But then maybe you are. But you, I, I know, you know, you know, what, you know where I'm leading on this one. And this is where I get into more arguments with people. Um, look, co- contrary to... Uh, what anybody wants to say. This is this is going to be be based on 49 years as a fur trapper and 39 years as ADC. Okay, making my living on coon. There are two concepts to a coon that most fur trappers are not going to. Uh, I don't know how to say it. So I'm just going to say it. most fur trappers never run and never think about these two concepts. Okay, first one is the one is the 80/20 concept. All right, and the second one is circuits, and uh, both of them, as a fur trapper, you're not going to uh, see them, see these two concepts, and acknowledge them because you're 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 you're, sw- you're coming in as a fur trapper, and you're skimming the cream, and you're moving on, so you're not dealing with what what I call an absolute known. Whereas in the ADC field, when I'm doing my work, I'm dealing with an absolute known. In other words, a customer calls me up and they got a raccoon in that attic. I'm going to pretty much every day know exactly if that raccoon is there or not. Okay, um, and I'm going to know that raccoon in, in that in, in that in that realm. And that's one of the benefits of ADC. And Kevin, you understand this too, what I'm saying? Right. So. When I go to my customer and I say to them, um, did you hear the raccoon last night? And they say no. They get wondering, but I, I know exactly what's going on. Raccoons have circuits. For most of the, and when we get into the advanced DP courses, I get into this a little bit more. Because the only time a raccoon will not have a circuit, okay, is going to be a sow raccoon when she's getting ready to give birth. And then when she's rearing her, her young for X amount of time. As soon as those young are old enough to go back out, or she can take those young out of that den, okay, they're weaned and they're ready to eat and they're, they're ready to be, become derelicts, um, that she'll then go back onto a circuit pattern, although that pattern will be shorter. Every region will be different, okay? Here in my area, the Forge area is probably the same. Ron Deal's area is probably going to be somewhat the same also. Here in my area, I can almost set a clock. It's, it's, un, it's, un, it's unreal how I, can set, how I can predict this. It makes me look like a magician, but it's not. <laughs> a salcoon, a typical salcoon, without pups, okay, will have a five to eight day circuit. A typical male 
raccoon two years old or older will typically, in my area, have an eight to ten day circuit. A sow with pups will have a three to five day circuit. Okay. And a young boar who's just out on his own, okay, will have roughly between a five and a ten day circuit. He's he's a little bit more haphazard there. All right. All coon, contrary to what anybody wants to tell you, all coon, when they hit a year to a year and a half old, they will become loners. They 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 are no longer a everybody thinks views coon as a social animal and they're really not. They're loners. Now, they will tolerate each other in certain situations, like denning areas in the cold and all that, or at feeds at the deer feed feeder and, and, and what have you. But typically the raccoon is going to be a loner and the older the boar, the more cantankerous and loner he becomes. The sow is a loner as long as she doesn't have pups. As soon as she has her pups, the only ones it's going to be with is going to be those pups. Now, I'm going into all that to go back to what Billy asked the question about. A lot of guys, myself included, before I understood what was going on, you go up to a stream, and there are thousands of tracks. Man, there's just tracks everywhere. And you're happy as a pig in the mud, man, because you know you're going to put out five traps, and you're going to have them babies filled tomorrow. And you come back tomorrow, ain't nothing. And you come back the next day, and ain't nothing. And you come back five days in a row, and there ain't nothing. And you're starting to scratch your head. And the one thing that most people will not do at this point is they will not be what I call observant on the land. Okay, in other words, anymore, if I'm on a stream, if I'm in a roadbed or, or what have you, okay, I'm going to pay attention to what's going on around that trap. I'm looking for fresh tracks. It's not uncommon for me to take out and brush out a section, maybe a foot by, you know, foot wide by the width of the road, of a, of a farm road, uh, and just brush it out. Why am I brushing it out? So I can see fresh tracks. Why am I doing that? Because I want to know them. I want to, I want to try to figure out my circuit times. So, you go five days, you don't see nothing. You don't see, you know, nothing, nothing's happening at all. All of a sudden, between day five and day eight, bam, 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 you're getting a bunch of coon. Every one of you good coon trappers out there that's listening to me, I know you have seen this happen. Every one of you have, okay? You may not have thought it in these terms, but you all have seen it. You get three to three days or so, bam, 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 bam. Man, you're catching coon like crazy, and all of a sudden you go into a five-day spill. All right? That's the circuit. Now, you see this tendency or you see this behavior more when you have low coon densities. You get out in Iowa. <laughs> you get out in Kansas. <laughs> you, you get out in Ohio. You get into these coon belts. You probably will never see this, even though it's happening, you probably will never see it because you have such a massive amount of coon moving through on a, on a daily basis that you never really notice a dry spell, okay? Um, but when you get here in the Northeast, and, and uh, Donovan, you may see it down there in the South a little bit, um, 
I see quite often. Uh, Ron Deal, you probably see it, or Kevin, do you guys see it? The circuit system? Yeah. I yeah. do see that occasionally. I see it all the time. The okay. thing is, you got all these you got all these deer hunters and stuff that are baiting and baiting and baiting. It kind of alters their circuit. I mean, if you're just well, yeah, I'm glad you brought that. If up. you're in yeah. the creeks and the streams and stuff, yeah, this the circuit's there because you'll get a couple days where you see a lot of tracks, and then you'll get a couple days where you see old tracks, and that's where uh, I always try to get guys to pre-bait, put the bucket of dog food out before. The season's still, you know, a few days before the season starts, and then you're alter- altering that pattern. It makes life a little a little simpler. I had a guy yesterday call me, actually. He put, like, I think he said 400 pounds of corn out in a spot because now we just started the winter season here for, for deer. And he's like, the first night he's got three raccoons laying in 400 pounds of corn just shoveling the corn in. And it's it's four degrees outside, and he's got all these yeah. coons on the pile. And I'm like, all right, give me a day or two, and I'll be over there. But it altered their pattern. Mm-hmm. Well, so, yeah, and, and and that's going back to if, you, if you've followed any of the um, coon threads that I've, that I've been on with a few people uh, where we've had some pretty good dialogues going. Um, the point that you're bringing up is an absolute, you know, the circuit will be altered depending on your, your, on your food source and your weathers and your, what I call far reach or your, or your basket picking. Um, in this, in the summertime and, and the, and the early fall when there's still a lot of frogs and, and, you know, crayfish and all kinds of uh, forage type, um, Food sources, if you will, along the streams and swamps and all that, your 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 circuit will be whatever it's going to be for your region. Add a stable food source to it, like the deer feeder, okay, and the short and the circuit shortens in 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 length. This time of year, when it's cold, uh, and again, you brought up a good point. It's four degrees. I was, um, I think, the last night I was minus three. Around, I think when I went out to check traps this morning, and I had coon moving. I didn't have any sets out for them, but I had coon moving in the snow past my uh, fox snares um, at four degrees or minus minus three degrees. All right, that's something that Kevin, you probably don't see up there in your area, correct? Nope, not until uh, mating season. Uh, most of those are males that are moving then. Yeah. Yeah, and that and that's the same thing as here. Our, the sales aren't moving that far, but but the key to bring it back into to what we're talking about, and Ron's talking about, is when you get a a, a deer feeder out, okay, or or corn crib or whatever, and you have suitable denning, whether it's in the ground or in a tree or in a barn, those coons will den close to that food source. And that food source will keep them there for their circuit, and then it'll make a, sh- a shorter circuit. So you go back to what Billy was talking about. You know, you get into these suburban areas where there's dumpsters and, and uh, trash cans and and uh, that type of stuff. You're going to see a shorter uh, circuit, if you will. Uh, and and whereas if you're out in the farm country and you're in or you're out in the the woods. And 
in the summertime and early fall was the swamps and all that, well, your coon are going to have a longer circuit now because they're traveling further for the food. Um, anybody want to add to that? No. I guess I want to kind of touch base. Um, I, I want to call a little bit of old school, um, whether it's you want to call it the Trapper's Bible. He kind of asked the question on where do you find them. Um, a few of the areas would be like if you're walking along a two-track, you got a puddle there, you're looking for sign. Sign is anything like scat. Uh, sign could be tracks, foot tracks in the mud, because uh, they'll set and puddle in that even if there's nothing in that mud puddle. Um, if you go down the curve a little ways further, it turns sandy. Uh, you're looking for tracks as well, or you're looking for scat. Uh, I like to set off where the the two track kind of wise off, uh, goes th- like three different directions. So it'd be the direction he's coming from, going to the right, which say we call it north, and going to the other direction, which say would be calling west. So I like to set on those. Um, I I don't want to call them transition areas. Uh, where they have an opportunity to go wherever, whichever way. Uh, so I like to look for sign. I don't like to just throw things out and and say, hey, you know, I know there's got to be coon here. Uh, I like to set along cornfield edges uh, is another good spot. Uh, grain areas, uh, like cash crop grain for farmers uh, is another good spot. Uh, look along for natural sources like berries, uh, be- uh, berry bushes. Uh, whether they're strawberry, blueberry, huckleberry, whatever. Um, those are good areas where you would find sign, which would be scat, because if it's that time of year, they're eating that. So you can kind of match that season uh, for trapping-wise. Uh, around buildings, uh, barns like Ryan had talked about, barns are a great place. Uh, any outbuildings on a farm is a pretty good place because uh, usually what gets a coon in trouble is their nose. So whether they're smelling what they're smelling, you know, whether it's grain, uh, high-moisture corn, uh, or berries, or whatever, Um, sweet corn. uh, So there's a lot of things to look for, and I call it sign. So you want to look for the sign. So tracks, scat, and a food source. Don't forget your uh, acorn ridges in the fall. Okay, number number one food source for everything. And also here in Jersey. I don't know what type of tree it is. Maybe something maybe Ron or, or Bill would know. It's a it's a type of tree, in it, and and in the fall it drops these little black, dark blue black berry, at the size of a uh, pellet or not even a pellet, BB rather. And they're and they're all you know. I don't know what the type of tree is, but these coon love these things. And you'll you'll when you come to the base of these trees, you'll just see the leaves dug up and, and pulled all over. And that's the same berry that you're going to see it in the, in, the, in the droppings on the logs and stuff like that. You'll see these these little seeds, these little black seeds. It turns their their droppings uh, black. Also, as, as I know, Kevin didn't mention, but but he knows. Oh, he probably didn't mention on purpose. Uh, persimmons. You know, everybody has persimmon trees, and if you want coon, find yourself a persimmon tree. That's that's where they're going to be at. Um, Donovan, you got anything to add to that? Mm, well, when you're talking about the berries with our blackberry bushes, uh, the briar patches down here, certain parts around it, October, we start to get a lot of berries come on to them, and that becomes a, a food source for a while. 
Um, along with the persimmons and along a lot of the creek lines, we also have uh, muscadines. And raccoon, if you can find a muscadine tree, they don't they don't drop for a long period of time. But if you can find a muscadine tree, that draws raccoons from far and wide all up. They seem to know it. I think they it's like a generational thing. If you can find a muscadine tree, and you can time about, and if you know about the time they're going to start dropping, if you go there. When they start dropping, the whole creek bed is just full of coon tracks. But the minute they stop, and and and, 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 what, and what kind? And and, and you know, you're talking to a boy that has a muscle. Who? And and what's this thing look like? Okay, a muscadine is kind of like a wild grape type deal. It grows on a vine. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I think it's somewhat parasitic to the tree, but um, it does. It looks basic. It's basically a wild grape. People make wine out of it and such, and they're usually going around along creek beds and such. And it's okay. a very sweet. It's almost kind of like a persimmon. It's not as big as a persimmon, but it has the same draw as a persimmon for raccoons. Now, if you can find them, a lot of people, you know, they have them on their property. They have little patches of them here and there. If you can find them, coon go crazy over them, almost as bad as persimmons. Wow. It's, it's amazing how different regions and different uh, climate can, climates just have told different uh, – um, food sources. All right. Well, I guess we died on that one. Um, okay. Bill. <laughs> okay. The next one here. Um, definitely. Now, this one here, we have people from all over different parts. I mean, you know, even even the difference between me and Ron Deal. Which, I mean, it's fifty miles, but it's twenty degrees different. Um, when do you? Well, you always say you have your sweet baits out. You there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got quite there. Um, when do you like pretty much say, okay, I'm going to shut down for uh, the cold or whatever? I mean, it's been I got snow on ground. You got snow. You said your coons were moving. Um, it's four degrees. Now Donovan's down in Mississippi. It hits four degrees. They caught the National Guard and go for state of emergency. We get up and go to work. Guys <laughs> up in New York, they're still out in shorts and crops, barbecuing hot dogs. When do I mean at different regions? What do you consider? When do you down for coons? When do the coons not pay attention to these dog proofs? Okay, well, for example, for for me, and I'll just use an example, and a prime example this year. Um. I I noticed, okay, around mid-December that my coon shut down um, and they wasn't moving. Uh, we got we we was having just enough cold spell to 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 make them go into a I don't want to be out in this crap type stuff. Right now, though, we're in the breeding. We're full. We're full blown breeding. I noticed. I started to notice breeding activity and and on my jobs about the last week of uh, December, and and uh, matter of fact, the day after Christmas, I had a lady call up and said she had raccoons up there with a lot of vocals going on, and she wanted to know what the heck was going on. And I said, you got a right. You probably got a red light on out of there. You know, <laughs> upstairs there. <laughs> but you know, so so that that's going to be a key now. And you hit you hit the nail right on the head. You know, Donovan's coons they probably go they probably damn up at forty degrees. Oh yeah. Um, um, you know, or or forty five. Uh, forty five here 
in Jersey is is our normal temperatures. You know, daytime temperatures of 45 and then nighttime temperatures of 20 is nothing for our raccoons. You go up there to Kevin, uh, when we're talking 45, he's talking 45 below. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, so and, and, and North Jersey is the same way, although most of the guys in the North Jersey don't realize what their coon are doing. You know, most trappers in North Jersey, and I get laughing at them, they they say their coon went into hibernate, and I said, "Now your coon is moving right now because your temperatures are the same as our temperatures, roughly. Okay, twenty degrees different, maybe, but um, where Kevin's temperatures, he's he's flat out cold up there. Okay, and those coon go into the hibernating mode, probably what Kevin first of December. Um, are you are you seeing are you seeing that crash up there by you, or or, or is it a little bit later? Well, it depends on the global warming. <laughs> but um, every year is different. Like this year, um, I would probably say about the 15th or 18th of December, um, we started getting a little snow. And the snow seems to dictate when uh, our, our females mainly go up to den or hibernate. Um, the males, a lot of times, the younger males and the older males will, will still be down, but... Uh, traffic is getting pretty slim by that time. Right, right. Well, and just for for example, today for me, okay. Again, we talked to her minus three degrees last night, um, and and I've got I've got eight inches or six to eight inches of snow still in the woods there, and I come across a brand new coon trail today on a log crossing, and they had it. They had that snow. That trail was almost down to the you know it was still snow covered trail, but. It was a good four four inches of uh, of uh, bank, if you will, where the coon are coming off this log crossing and heading up into the laurels there. And wherever they're heading, I don't know, but there's enough coon there that tomorrow there's going to be a, a snare set on that trail. Um, but it, it, it looked like a doggone deer trail, but it was only coon, okay? And, and um, so... In December, when it's cold and it wasn't breeding, I personally believe the coon, same as Kevin's up there and maybe Donovan's down there, uh, the coon have no reason to really be out, okay? They've got enough fat reserves, so they're going to hunker down, and they're, why, why get my nose cold when I ain't got to, right? Now, with the cold, though, okay, the sows are still saying, I ain't going out there, all right? I'm, I'm going to come out of the tree, and I'm going to... Go to the feed the deer feeder, okay? Or I'm going to come up out of the ground and go to the deer feeder. I'm going to go to the the farmer's field that's that's right there or whatever, and I'm going to grab a bite to eat. I'm going to go back in. The boar has got other things on his mind though. He's got loves in the air, so so he's going to travel from den site to den site to den site to den site, and he's just going to make that big old circuit and. And right behind him, by a, by a couple hours or a couple of days or maybe a day, you got another big old boar, and you got another big old boar, and and I and I have noticed in the past that the bigger the den area for sales, the more boar activity coming into that den area, um, which is what I'm surmising that I saw today, is that. Up in that laurels there, there's a lot of big old oak trees and there's a lot of holes, groundhog holes and stuff like that. I'm surmising that there's probably quite a few 
Sal Coon up on the edge of that swamp up in that thing. And um, these boars are just, you know, they're they're he- they're heading to the uh, the cat house there. So so that you know, temperature for the boar, I personally believe, and, and again, somebody might disagree, isn't as critical as it is on the sow. Does that make sense to everybody? What I just said, or, or make everybody say, "What in the heck is he talking about?" Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, when do coons shut down? I believe before the breeding season, they'll shut down in a lot more moderate temperatures or higher winter temperatures. But once breeding comes in, <clears throat> I believe the boars will continue to move in these these crazy temperatures where we as trappers for years and years and years thought coon, you know, once once they go in the den, they ain't coming back out until the springtime. And and that that was something I, until I started doing ADC, I I honestly believe that. Um, But I can't tell you how many jobs I have where I have people, well, what are we going, Bill and and Ron? We've gone 10 days with uh, temperatures not hovering above 25 if we're lucky. And nighttime temperatures. Yeah, nighttime temperatures. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, for South Jersey, we're we're used to 45 degree daytime temperatures, not, not 25. Uh, and night times we're we're used to you know twenty to to thirty, um, not ten, uh, <laughs> you know, or, or nine or five. Um, so, um, I, I lost my train of thought. Where was I going, Bill? On that one? Well, I don't know. Something about it being cold and the coon still moving because they're breathing yeah. and wanting some. Well, everybody's got it. Every, everybody's got the idea that I was saying. Um, right. Anybody got anything to add to all that stuff? No. no uh, as I could say, <laughs> I, I will say up here in the north that uh, when our coons, uh, male coon, come out of den during breeding season, uh, normally they're not after any type of food, uh, lure bait. None of that really seems to um, affect them. It's like I say, here it's more of the eye appeal thing, and that's when I the DPs are gone after the ground's freezing, and I put bucket sets out, and then I don't care what I catch. I can catch skunk, I can catch possum, I can catch, you know, so whatever. And I know that's jumping off to a different type of trapping, but um, I just wanted to get, get the point out that up here in the north that when it gets cold, they're denned up, and when they come out of denning, they're not normally looking for food. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you on that, except for I will say here, okay, mm-hmm. they still will eat if you can present something that they would like to have. And and this is where I'm going back to snacking, not feeding, and offering mm-hmm. something that's different. Um, most animals always have a sweet tooth, okay? Um, most wild animals, uh, even foxes. Uh, I have a I have a deer. Um, it's called deer stuff too. It's a dry attractant, and the foxes tear into it. I don't know why. <laughs> I have no goddamn idea why, but they do. And I and I get guys constantly sending me pictures of red foxes and gray foxes coming into these these uh, areas where their deer stuff too is down in the ground. And the deer stuff too is is usually dug into soft soil. And mixed in with to the soil, okay, similar to a, 
a mineral, but it's a it's a, a dry attractant. And the foxes will come in and they'll dig at it and, and lick at it and, and, and just like a deer will. So the same thing I believe with your raccoons, even though the boar is not quote unquote coming after food, if you can offer him something right under his nose, and again, this is why we I, I mentioned earlier that I put the DP trap so he bumps his nose right into the son of a gun. If I can, if I can put it there that he bumps into it, that's uh, so much better. Because by putting that um, something, whatever it is, there in front of him, it's the same as me with a chocolate chip cookie or 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 a piece of uh, you know maybe Reese's pieces, uh, you know, peanut butter cup or something like that. I'm not hungry, but as I'm walking past it, there's a jelly bean or something. I just yeah I, yeah let me take take a t- bite of that thing. It's the same concept I'm 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 doing with with the DP traps in 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 the breeding season. I'm doing something to make them want to uh, at least reach in and see if he can pull it out. Well, the coons around here all day looking for white women. I'll leave it that alone. <laughs> 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 All right, <laughs> let's move on to that one here. <laughs> All right, Bill, another question, quick. Yep, I do have another one. To get back to elaborate on what you were saying a little bit more. Now, are coons shut down when it gets cold? I do it everywhere. How many right. days of a certain temperature would you look for to, like, All right, we're going to pull our traps in. I pulled all my traps two weeks ago because I had something I had to do and it got cold and I didn't. Now I'm watching the weather and starting tomorrow, it's going to get above freezing. Friday's going to be 52 and rainy. And it just so happens I don't have a damn thing to do Saturday or Sunday. So I'm planning on a second. But now, um, let's just say I'm waiting four days. But how many days ballparking Above this nasty spell that we have, you know, of warm weather, would get the coons back out again. Would get the sows moving a couple extra feet away from the den tree. We all got the guy got the stand right up in that big oak with the knot above it, and deer got all the bait piles under. They're just walking down the steps and going. But let's say we want them to cross the field to the stream where we're at. How many like a rise in temperature? Like I know guys up north. I talked to some guys up in Canada. They're talking forty degrees. So, I mean, zero degrees Celsius, which is, you know, freezing to us. They say, oh, it jumps 10 degrees, they're out. So that's only 40. We're 40 all the time. Now, well, so you, what, I, I think I think that's, there's a lot, of, and I'm, I don't mean to get too technical over here, but I'm going to get a little right. technical. All that's going to play into into the den scenario that, that the coon is actually in. Okay, now, if if they're in the ground, okay, and it's been – uh, zero degrees out for the last month, and they are in a not a hibernation, but they're in a deep sleep. Okay, um, I believe that it's going to take a high. It's going to take a moderate temperature longer. Okay, to get those coon moving, because number one, that that ground, when however far if they get down into a groundhog hole, that's going to be four to six feet down. Uh, it's going to be roughly um, 50, 52 degrees or whatever that ground temperature is. He may not be in a, a 
as deep of a sleep than a coon in a in a in a rock um, wall where you know it's only uh, ten degrees warmer than than the outside temperatures and and those rocks will keep the uh, the temperature uh, in that den more consistent so if you get in those those situations you're going to need longer temperatures moderate temperatures on the outside so you may have to go Kevin I bet you he don't see movement for for five to six days after the temperature stabilizes um, up there and I'll let him answer that in a second whereas you get a tree okay with the sun beating down on it and it's and he's held up in that thing I bet you I bet you a 10 or, or 15 degree difference one or two days will get them boys moving um, here in South Jersey, I typically one day if if it's if if they've been held up for three or four weeks, and again my houses I'm looking at this, they've been held up for three or four weeks, and we get one day of 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 above freezing temperatures, you know, it's thirty thirty five degrees with a good sun on it. That night, coon are going to probably start moving a little bit, and definitely if it maintains the very next day, I'm going to have full-blown coon movement. Um, Ron Deal may have a different situation over there in, o- in Ocean County because he's, let's face it, he don't have big trees over there. <laughs> he's down. <No. laughs> they got yeah, trees the, over there at all? <laughs> the, we got the, a, lot of, a lot of wind whipping on the water. You know what kind of I noticed was that um, it's not so much the temperature as it is the wind. And it's exactly. not, it was not just the coons, but I've seen it in deer. I've seen it myself. Like last night I was working and it wasn't too bad because the wind wasn't blowing. But the night before right. and the wind was blowing, man, I didn't want to get out of the truck. Right. And I think the, I think the coons and the, well, definitely with the deer, I mean, even in the early fall, it could be nice out. But if you got high wind, you don't see a lot of activity because they can't hear. Like it, it, it alters their senses. Yeah, that's probably the truth. And and plus, I think I think that wind just blowing just bothers everybody <laughs> until you get used yeah. to it. Huh? <laughs> you know, if, if the if the weather's real bad and I got to go get the mail, you run down to the mailbox, you get the mail, you get back in the house. But yeah. if the wind's not blowing too bad, you know, you you walk down to the mailbox, you talk to the neighbor, you know, you're spending a lot more time outside. And I think even though it's cold. I think all the other factors uh, add to the movements of the the coons, so to speak. So, so what what are you seeing though? Because your temperatures are relatively the same as mine. What what are you seeing as far as days go? As far as your coon held up, you know they're held up. Uh, how many days uh, will you will you do you give them before they start moving on a on a change? Well, I notice I notice more tracks when the wind ain't blowing. So even though it's been cold, like I said, if you're in a decent den area and it stops snowing or the wind stops blowing real hard, you'll start seeing activity. You know, how far away they get from the den area is how mild it is. All right. So right, I'm going to throw. I'm going to, I want to throw the same question out to Donovan, and then I want Kevin to answer his because he's the one that I'm really wondering about the days. But Donovan, what do you see down there? Of course, again, like we said, your coon probably hold up at 40 degrees for two weeks, right? 
Yeah, well, it seems to me when it starts getting cold, I'll say November it starts getting in the 30s, you will have no, – they, they don't move any more than they absolutely need to. And what I think it is because we get a lot of rain and it gets pretty cold – they don't like getting in, getting on the ground and having their, you know, because it's cold and it's wet and it freezes their feet. They don't like that. So if we can get, they're not going to move more than they have to. They're not going to be very active. But the minute it starts warming up, if we get maybe a 10 degree, it comes up maybe 10 degrees, it goes from 40 to 50 for about a week, then they'll just start moving like crazy. But then if it goes back down, they'll lock back up. So you have to kind of, it's either you have your traps out the whole time Checking nothing, you know, you're not going to catch anything. If it gets below 30 degrees, you might as well not go check your traps. You're just not going to catch anything. Or is it? Or you wash the weather and you can target those actual days. It's going to, you're going to have a little temperature rise. Right. And now if it's on a deer feeder or something, they'll move a lot more. There was a deer camp I trapped last year, and it was full of den trees, and there were deer feeders. Every hundred yards, it, there was a den tree about every hundred yards, and those raccoons I was watching on trail cameras, they were moving about every night, every single night. However, on my property, I have one deer feeder, and it's just in the middle of a field. The minute it started getting cold, they would come around maybe every two days, three days, four days, max. You know, that's not normal. You know, that's pretty normal for them to come, take that much time to come to to the uh, deer feeder. But the minute it starts getting that temperature rise, they're going to just swarm deer feeder. So that's what I think it is. They don't like getting out. They don't like getting cold. They don't like getting wet because, that you know, they just don't like doing it. That's that's just my opinion on, on the deal. All right, Kevin, your baby. <laughs> um, as far as others coming down, I have noticed anywhere from three to five days. Um, you can, like, say about late, I shouldn't say late. I should say high 30s to the low 40 degree mark. Um, our coon, about three days to a week, uh, will come down out of denning, and you see the a lot more activity as far as tracks, fresh scat, uh, things of destruction, maybe a few um, ADC calls. Um, and our season actually closes uh, sometime in February. I, I'd have to look in the book to give you the exact date but um so normally um i'm trapping all the way up till then uh, but it is with uh bucket sets uh after the breeding or during the breeding season and after the breeding season so um but yeah three to five days uh high 30s low 40s and that'll pull them out of the trees or or stone walls or under barns or wherever and they they don't mind you know basically they'll start looking for food then uh, as long as it's, you know, later in, in uh, the spring. Right. Right. All right, Billy, next one. Okay. Um, let's just say, because I have a clue, um, where would I look for a den in area? What sort of area would I look for? When I walk, let's just say, all right, uh, just to give you an idea, I'm riding down a dirt lane, got oak trees and laurel bushes and bars and whatever mixed in. And as you know where I'm at, um, where would I start looking to see what I, what would, what's a den look like? Boy, that's, that's a regional question there, boy. And that, that, that could be, 
But but again, it's going to be your 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 terrain and what you got there. I mean, typically your you know a, a tree that's eight inches in diameter with a knot hole in it ain't a dent tree. Um, even though a lot of guys will say it is, you know that tree's got to be hollow enough for a raccoon to get down in there. So you know you're looking for bigger bigger oaks in our area, bigger oaks, chestnuts, and there's these bigger trees with the big old oaks or knot holes in them where a coon could get down into into that tree. So you're you're looking at what uh, a tree typically that you can't get your arms around, all right, or just barely get your arms around. So it's smallest to the to the next biggest ones there. Um, I personally believe that more coon than overall. Not, now we're not talking about females whelping more pups. I'm talking about normal coon. All right, in normal scenarios. I personally believe more coon will, uh, in the, in moderate early fall and whatever, they'll just go right on into a squirrel's nest and you know, sleep right out in the stupid nest with it, knock the top off and just go to sleep. You get out on the meadows and the marshes, you know, like Bill, you and I have, and like Ron has over on the coast, um, old, old muskrat den um, house, they'll just go tear the side of it out and crawl down in that sucker and and take up residence. Uh, old beaver lodges, they'll take up residence. Um, if you got brush piles, um, they're going to crawl down in them brush piles. Anywhere, any way they can get out of that. Uh, they don't, it doesn't have to be perfectly dry, but they want to be somewhat dry. But again, here in our area, Bill, uh, I, Ron, I don't know on the coast itself, how many groundhogs you actually have right on that sandy soil coast, but you get on the other side of the uh, bridge there, hitting inland, you're going to have a bunch of groundhogs. Uh, groundhog holes is, is um, in my area, I believe, one of the best denning sites for raccoons. I can't tell you how many times in the wintertime it's cold, and you come up to a groundhog hole, and you see all the leaves are just out, you can see there's activity going in that, that groundhog hole, and it's you know uh, 30 degrees out. I'll hang old cable right in front of that uh, hole, and I can guarantee you tomorrow morning I'm gonna have a coon um, or a skunk. But um, yeah, you know, <laughs> set, it, set it a little high so you don't catch the skunk. Um, you know, but that's I think I think there's more coon in 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 the ground. Than we than we uh, uh, actually believe, and then again you've got your you've got your own structures. You're going to have you know if you if, if you find a woods and there's an old house there, an old shed or old shack or old barn or or uh, old, old Model T Ford rusting away, um, you can almost guarantee that the old coon's going to be in there um, at some point. Here's another point I want to, uh, something. I got a spot down in the swamp. It's a ground hole. And it and it goes down in the ground, and the, ho- the tree is hollow going up into the tree. And it's pretty much for a size tree. It's probably uh, four foot in diameter. Um, that den right there, I will put a cage strap on or a snare there, and I'll catch a coon, and then I won't catch another coon for two or three days, and then I'll catch another coon, and then I won't catch a coon for two or three days, and I'll catch another coon. And it'll go that way 
as long as I got a trap there. Um, is that a spot in a little finger that pumps out into an apple orchard that has a little stream running out to the meadow? No, no, it's in the middle of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> but that sounds good like can, my, one of my spots. Big old yeah, you, you can, you can find them. Up <laughs> yep, you can find them all over the place. Anytime, any place there's an old, here in Jersey especially, if you got old swamp, you know, you got the old um, cedar swamp with uh, surrounded by oaks and, and maples, Especially those maples, they always hollow out. You'll see a hole going down in the ground. You can almost guarantee a, a coon is using it, and it's going to be multiple coons using it. They all won't be using it the same day, but they'll be using it. Um, and you and you can keep. That's one of those things that that tree that I'm talking to, talking about. I put a cage there and leave it the month of January, and and I'll, I'll pick up you know 10, 15 coon with no problem out of that out of that spot. So um, you know, it's just. Where are you going to find the dens? You're going to just, just look around. You get down into Cape May County, which is, again, um, a lot of sandy soil where those old farm fields had the brush piles built up. I can't, you know, it's not when we're calling down there at night, uh, down along the bayfront. It's not uncommon for us to walk in and hear a couple of coons just going at it, fighting. And it's kind of funny when I got a newbie with me, you know, guys never been out in the woods in the dark. And we're going predator hunting, <laughs> and uh, they will, <laughs> you know, they're going nuts or crazy, and they'll stop, and I'll look at them and say, "It's all right, it's only coons." <laughs> and that's kind of like look at you and say, "You're all right, yeah, we're we'll good. We got the guns, we don't, you know, that type of thing." But uh, uh, Donovan, I would imagine your area is the same. Ron, you're probably the same. The only one that would probably maybe different would be Kevin, because again, we're talking about. Some, some extreme differences in temperatures um, and snow belts and stuff like that. Yeah, our uh, area, being the farm boy that I am, I don't get into the city all that much, but um, a lot of places we find them uh, is either around bale where they store the round bales and stack them. Uh, they're yeah. going between them and claw that out and use all that loose hay to make bedding. Um, underneath barns uh, that are low slung, uh, the beams that run along, they'll pull leaves in there and put them in one corner of the barn or whatever uh, underneath the floorboards there and then up there. Uh, square bales that get put in barns, uh, they'll dig down in between them because normally they're not always 100% tight. Um, if you can get your hand slid down in there, the coons will try to, try to get in there. Um, Pretty much grain bends like um, corn cribs, things like that. Uh, they'll hibernate in. Uh, that's food that they can eat right there. Um, so that's kind of a country style looking at it, I guess. All right. Ron, Ron or Donovan, you got anything to add to all this? Yeah, well, something uh, we have a lot of down here, due to about, you know, we got a lot of timber. We have spoil piles and a lot of them. Um, a lot of property used to go on. They'll uh, cut timber every few years, and all the old timber or not stuff they want, they'll just get a bulldozer and they'll push it up. And some of these piles are, I've been on some properties that are 10, 15 feet tall and maybe 20, 30 feet around. And they're usually not that big, but um, if larger timber gets up in there, raccoons will actually go in there and they'll den up, they'll claw places out. And you can go around some of them once they get built up and if there's a good food source around and you can just see trails, three or four trails going all around it where the coon go up in uh, these um, 
big spoil piles. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have it up there, but it's you know fairly common for us to have big spoil piles, and especially since they burn them sometimes to try and break them down, that creates more uh, crevices in there, and a lot of times it's pretty dry. So that's another place we look. And uh, old cars, if you've really ever been in any farm, especially down here, it's you'll be three miles back in the woods, and you'll just find old cars everywhere, and they like denting up underneath and uh, inside of old cars in the trunks, especially. Um, and tires, I've seen people put a lot of tires out, and they'll dent up in tires. Uh, big trash piles as well, junkyard, stuff like that. Uh, that's some stuff I've noticed, but spoil piles are something we have down here, and they, they really like those. Ron, you're the last one. Yeah, a lot of this urban area, I noticed all these strip malls and stuff that go up, they require all these people with big parking lots to put in these catch basins to catch the water runoff. And some of these places, they've never held a drop of water. And they got all these big culvert pipes and everything. And I've seen everything run in and out of these pipes from fox to coyotes and coons and everything's living up in these pipes because they're not holding any water. So, I mean, if I was looking for a place to go, I'd crawl up in one of them pipes too. (laughs) (laughs) Until <laughs> <laughs> flash flood comes and they get washed out, but they're doing what? You, well, you know, with your you've got that bull pine that that which gets what ten fifteen feet tall at the most, a uh, lot around there with those and those uh, and those pine barrens there. Um, and there's a ton of coon out there though. I mean, you, when you walk down these sandy soil roads, first thing I've noticed out in the areas is a ton of coons. Uh, where do you think those guys are, are denning up at out there? Uh, I know a lot of them, they just pull the pine needles together at the base of trees. Um, just curl up in there. Old, yeah. like old buildings and just, I hate to say it, but junk piles, you know? Yep. You, you get a yep. guy looking to, looking to dump some old fencing or furniture or something like that and they can get their car off the road. You know, they're usually going to dump it and... Something will live up in there. Field um, tiles the same way as you get up North Jersey or a lot of down here. Bill knows what I'm talking about here with the field tiles where uh, farmers would put these uh, drainage lines in underneath the, the fields there so the water would run off. And, and some of these uh, field tiles could be 12, 15 inches in diameter. You know, not many of them are going to be that big, but some of the old ones could be. And uh, a lot of coons, you'll, you'll, you'll see a lot of raccoons uh crawling up inside those things and, and I guess until you get a heavy rain they're 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 cozy as as, as can be up in them things. So um all right. Well anything else uh Bill you got going? No, I'm actually starting to fall asleep here. I'm getting old. I got some work too, morning. Too. So. <laughs> you know one thing that no I and I want to say this because you asked some good questions, and, and I know a lot of guys uh, was getting on and saying, well, you didn't talk a bunch about the dog-proof traps. And, and one thing I want to I want to say to people, um, you know, the trap or the, the, the method is only about 25% of catching, catching the, the critter. The other portions of it is what we've been talking about this whole morning or this whole time, you know. Um, if you want to catch the raccoon, the dog proof is the tool, all right? You're going to set it. Again, we didn't get into the advanced methods and all that too much. 
Um, as far as the uh, breeding season goes, I'll just let it out. Use your gland lures, man. Fox gland lure, coyote gland lure. Uh, don't use coon gland lure unless you only want a board. If you if you use a a, a gland lure in the breeding season, you're definitely going to have females back away um, a lot of times. So especially after the breeding season. But you know you're you're now somebody else might have a completely totally different um, concept with that. But that's why you don't see a lot of gland lures out there for raccoons because the, a gland lure can be a repellent for a raccoon gland lure can be a repellent or it can be an attractor. Um, but, you know, in the breeding season, if you want those big old boars, I use the gland lures. And, it's, and I'll be honest with you, there's, there's a lot of times I use a gland lure right inside that dog that, that proof trap. Um, it's, it's not a food source, okay, but the coon will get caught in it. And, and I personally think he's just reaching in there to pull this thing out so he can smell it, curiosity or, or, or whatever it is. So he's, he's the boars. I, I cannot ever remember catching a female, which is straight gland lure down inside the, uh, the dog proof trap, but, um, plenty of big boars. And if you're looking for the big boar, if you're looking for that big old, you know, single X right on up to a, to a triple X, we don't have too many four X's here in Jersey, but you're not slapping um, the right dumpsters. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's, that's that's the key there. Um, you know, if you want them big, those big coons, then then um, you know, try that. Which what what I will do a lot of times is is I will take the uh, a, a single DP and I'll bait it up with my baits, whatever I'm going to use, and then you know, just far enough away on the same trail where they can't get to each other and fight, I'll put a gland lure down in there. That's a that's a um, something that, that uh, you guys might want to try. Now, the key to that, though, all right, is you've got to have some sort of um, lure holder, if you will, that's going to hold up. That's why the polyfill, that's why the, the, the sheep's wool will probably work uh, quite well. Uh, hollow fill, um, leather. Guys, some of the best, um, you cut a, a, a piece of leather and shove it down underneath the uh the trigger so he can't uh pull it out and and the reason i went to these what i call solid lure holders or scent holders is essentially this i have seen many 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 times on camera where raccoons are reaching into the trap take all the bait out and never once pull that trigger never once pull the trigger so, um, by putting that lure or scent holder down underneath that trigger so it can't come up without pulling that trigger up, all right, then then he can grab that hollow fill or he can grab that leather or he can grab the, uh, whatever. As he's pulling that up, that pulls the trigger up. Uh, something that just came to my brain going back to baiting Um on your push-pull systems, I think more guys get themselves into trouble by filling that dog-proof trap up all the way to the top with a push-pull system because it doesn't take, for most push-pull systems, it doesn't take a lot of pressure on the push to set the trap off. And as they're, as they're filling that all the way up, 
to the top. Okay, and the coon's reaching in and reaching in. He gets down three quarters of the way, or you know, to the to the trigger. He's halfway down to the trigger, but he's not at the trigger yet. He now pushes down hard to maybe grab the dog food or or whatever bait he's going to, and it sets the trap off. What it actually does is when that trap fires, it now catches him at the finger joints where it touches the paw, if you will. Okay, it's not a pad catch. Uh, I personally like to get him up above the wrist. I, I, I like to catch the coon above the wrist, up on the forearm, if you will. That way, when he pulls, he catches on the wrist. Typically, I'm not going to get any damage to the raccoon there. That, typically, I'm not going to, um, unless the ground's frozen and the DP trap stays frozen in the ground. Then you won't have some problems. But if I get a what I call a short catch down around the fingers, that's that's when I'm going to have a, a pull out, and it doesn't take much pressure at that point to pull out because all I got to do is get that spring up against the tree and pull. They're not intentionally doing that, but by chance the spring gets against the tree, and as they're using the leverage of their weight, the spring gives just a little bit, and they pull out. I found I figured that out by catching myself quite often in TP traps, and I won't go into that too much. Um, and I don't do it on purpose. But every once in a while, I get myself caught. And and when your finger is caught in the trap, a lot of times I don't have the strength to, um, in one hand to get that spring to compress, so I'll just lean against the tree just a little bit, and it takes very little pressure on that spring to be able to pull my finger out. So... Um, just things I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking out loud and and, and throwing things out there to um, add in case we didn't cover something. Um, Donovan, Kevin, Kevin had to go to bed, I guess. So we got uh, Ron and and Bill and, and Donovan on here. Anything you guys want to add to this? Yeah, the only other thing that I was going to add real quick is that, and I actually had a few guys ask me this, is that because the temperature changed so fast. And they're used to using a certain particular bait, and the bait either holds a lot of moisture or it's wet, and then the temperature changes, it freezes inside, and either you lose the smell of your bait, or it actually freezes the trap shut. And you want to change over to something a lot drier. Um, I use sheep wool in the bottom. When the weather's nice, I'll squirt fish oil in there. The problem with fish oil is when the temperature goes down, fish oil will freeze which usually freezes everything in the trap. If you go to the pet store and you get fish flakes, like fish food, um, a lot of times you can mix that in with the sheep wool. It's all dry. You know, you won't have the the problem of uh, a syrupy type paste freezing the trap shut. And a lot of guys, the coons are visiting them and they're reaching in there and they're getting out what they can, but if the trap is frozen, it ain't firing. And if the ground's that frozen, you're not seeing that the coon was there. So you're just assuming that the coons aren't there or they're holding up. So you might want to think about changing changing with the times, so to speak, you know. Well, and we'll add to that, too. Go down to your CVS, your Walgreens, or whatever pharmacy you got there, okay, and go over to the makeup area and and get a little bottle of that glycerin oil. Um, it's expensive as all heck, but you don't need much. Glycerin is an antifreeze. 
And what I tell a lot of guys is, you know, when they're using whatever baits they're going to, a little bit of glycerin goes a long ways. If you're going, if you don't want to go with a dry food, or, or you want to, you know, uh, most prepared baits, commercial prepared baits. And Bill, you had a post on uh, one of the sites there not too long ago about commercial <laughs> yeah, baits. I was, I was just going to ask you. I was just going to ask you that question too. Yeah. Um, um, if you didn't, um, because with Ron, the food and fish saying about how when it freezes. Well, we lost you. So <laughs> you lost <laughs> you're, you're, No, you're back. You're back now. Okay. No, sir, yeah. Yeah. Um, you're using the, you know, homemade baits that we just basically squirt fish oil in the cat food versus your commercial. Uh, we lost you again, but, but I, I got the drift of your answer. If you're using like for a fish oil, for example, okay, you can you can take and mix your fish oil with a glycerin. Um, now, what you will get is a separation when it sets, settles, and and a lot of guys get upset with that. That means nothing, okay? A separation is a separation. It you take it and shake it, and, and it comes back into into being. But um, that will that will. To, to an extent, keep your, your fish oil a little, lubric, little lubricated, okay? Also, if you want to use fish oil, and then here's a little tidbit out there for your homemade boys, okay? You take your fish oil, and you and you add it to butter, all right? Take your butter, heat it up, pour your fish oil into the butter. Now, your butter will get hard, and then you add a little bit of glycerin to that to keep it creamy. All right, and it's the same thing. You won't get the freeze up at that point. Glycerin oil, propylene glycol, all work very well as an antifreeze. Another thing that works very well as an antifreeze, okay, is salt, good old-fashioned salt. You're not going to pour a ton of salt into it. You're just going to put a little bit of salt in there just to, to act as an antifreeze. Um, and again, this is all ideas for people to think about. You, um Ron had a perfectly good idea, you know, go to your dry fish, your flakes. That's it's mixed with your sheep's wool. Um, do all think ahead. You're always, uh, I got a saying, if you ever heard my, a lot of my talks, the saying has always been this. There's a very fine line between a good trapper and a real good trapper. The difference cannot normally be seen, but the difference is a good trapper will do what they need to do when they see they need to do it. The real good trapper will do what they need to do before they see they need to do it. So the point I'm trying to make adds is every one of us knows that freeze is coming. Every one of us knows that the drop of a hat, that ground could freeze. And that's, that's, that's cardinal rule number one. Never, ever, ever, ever let your trap freeze into the ground, all right? You let that DP freeze into the ground, you've got a broken leg. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. So you're always thinking ahead. You're looking at your weather conditions. You're looking at your your scenarios coming up. Do I have, um, is it going to get cold? Is it going to freeze? Is it going to freeze tight enough to lock the trap up in there? If, it, if, if I got to, like right now, if I was, if I'm going to put DPs out in this stuff, all right, I'm going to use rotted logs more than more than not to sh- to get the DP trap into. 
even if I got a car to rod, rotted log into it. And it don't have to be a big lot of log. You know, four-inch diameter rotted log will do it great. And the reason a rotted log is great is because it breaks down very fast. Even frozen, it will break down. Now, we're talking about well, uh, a good rotted log, not not one that you got to break a ha- with a hammer. Um, also, what I will do a lot of times is I will... In frozen ground, if I'm going to use a DP trap in the frozen ground, I'm going to get a masonry bit that's bigger than my spade on the, um, uh, bigger than my pin on the on the uh, dog proof, and I'm going to take my portable drill and I'm going to drill a hole down into that soil and that frozen ground, okay, and then what I'll do is I'll pour some salt down in there or some glycol or some propylene or uh, some, uh, you know dry ice or whatever you got there. I mean, not dry ice, but the stuff that ice melt. And you pour it down in the bottom of that hole, okay? And that way, when you shove the spade down in there, that's that's what keeps your, your trap locked in, if you will. All right? You don't want your trap just flopping out of the hole too often. So that also uh, is the reason for short catches. But that little half inch of soil that's got the saw on it at the very bottom of the hole Okay, won't freeze up, and then the coon will be able to pull it out of out of the frozen ground there. Um, rotted logs they can pull it out of all the time. Um, if you need to, you come up on a on a tree, and or an old rotted tree that's still standing, and you bore a hole straight in and shove that DP trap into that hole so it doesn't freeze down into the ground. You want that trap to constantly be able to move out. Uh, also been known to take uh, peat moss or peat, you know, and dig your hole out a little bit bigger, except for down where the spade's going to get in, stick it down in the ground, but fill that hole up with the peat moss and then shove your trap down in there. That peat moss helps keep the ground from freezing around the around the uh, shaft of the of the dog proof. Traps you got to watch out for in freezing will be the grizzes. Okay, because it's got that spring at the bottom, that 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 V-shaped spring, and I, I love the Diablos, but you got to watch that Diablos. Uh, uh, what do they call that? Uh, the the bottom of it. Spade. Yeah, the yeah the bottom portion that sticks into the ground. The reason that's a problem is because it's got the, both the Grizz and the Diablo in between the the rods. Okay. The Diablo has a, a U-shaped anchoring system that goes into the ground. When that ground freezes, that baby's rock solid hard. I had them last year frozen so hard I couldn't get them out. Uh, sprung them off, so uh, I had to wait until I thawed before I could get them out of there. So, you know, you got to really, going back to what I said, the real good trapper is seeing this stuff before it happens, always paying attention to what is coming. We all know there's a possible freeze. We all know there's cold weather. So when you're using a bait, you're always in the back of your mind thinking, okay, I'm going to use a bait, and how do I keep the smell coming out? If it's a prepared bait, if it's commercial, most of your commercial baits are going to be freeze-proof. We have to. Well, you know, we, we, we purposely put it in our formulation so they don't freeze up. But when you're making your homemade baits or whatever, that work great. Always think ahead at times. Is it going to freeze? If it's going to freeze, I'm going to lose my smell. So let's try to keep this thing open and, and working. So add a little glycerin, add a little salt, 
add a little uh, whatever you got to do to uh, keep that that bait pliable and and uh, going. All right, that was a lot of talking there. Somebody else. <laughs> well, something I like that with the uh, homemade bait. Something I've I've found to work really good for me is um, I found um, I was using a predator bait in my dirt holes. I was trying to catch fox and I kept catching raccoons and I figured the raccoons really really liked it. I forgot the name of it. Uh, I think it's feta feta something. And I I figured what the heck I can just mix it with something and possibly see how it works. Well, I took about a teaspoon of that to about a water bottle full of cat food. And I would mix and I shook it up real well. And I found out that that predator bait gave the cat food a very thin coat of oil from that uh, from the bait and a little bit, like little chunks of the meat and stuff in there. And what I found out is it, retained, it, it shed water very well for some reason. It shed water. I didn't have the same problems that I was having because if, you know, if you mix sardines with cat food, it gets soggy real quick. I didn't have the same problems with the federales. That was the bait. That was the bait. Federales, and I mixed that together. I didn't have the same problems if I, you know, just made a homemade concoction of sardines or marshmallows or something. Those the cat food it was stayed in a jar for two three weeks by itself. It had a very thin sheet of oil from the bait over it, and it shed water very well. And I don't have freezing conditions down here. I very very rarely, so I can't really tell you how that worked. But I found the coon were loving it. And from a pint of bait, a teaspoon to a water bottle, that was like, that would bait about a dozen traps for me. So I found that worked very well. So if you have a predator bait you're finding that raccoons are liking very much, I'll say get a teaspoon of it and mix it with some cat food and see if that'll work for you. That's something I, I found that works very well. Well, no, another, and on the same on the same line, is you can take a, a powder, whatever powder you want to use, uh, you know, however. And you want to use corn as your bait to throw down in your DP trap. What I what what we will do a lot of times is what we call spiking. Okay, and you you can take your corn and and say you take a uh, a gallon container of of uh, corn. You can take about anywhere from one to three ounces, you, one to two ounces of of regular old vegetable oil. All right. And you can put that, pour that into your corn, and stir your corn as you're as you're putting the vegetable oil into it. At that point, what what happens there as you stir it, or if you even put it into a um, uh, cement mixer, we have a cement mixer for mixing our deer uh, baits and stuff like that. But you can take a cement mixer and, and just pour the oil in there, and then as it's turning, that the kernels of corn are going to coat with this oil. You could at that point take whatever powder. For example, if you wanted to uh, use what Ron just said, the flakes, the fish flakes, you could at that point take the fish flakes and pour it in there, and the oil will act as a uh, adhesive, if you will, and the fish flakes will actually stick themselves to the corn, all right, um, which gives you now the odor that you need, plus you have the watershedding ability that you also uh, that you just referred to is in, in your in your dog food or your cat food. You could do the same thing with dog food or you can use cat food. The reason dog foods, dried cat foods, whatever gets soggy is because you're the, the the average person is putting too much oil into it. You know, 
a a two ounces of oil can go a long long way without it's coating the outside of the of the of the bait but it's not getting into the interior which keeps the the, the bait still um hard or 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 you know whatever word you want to use there so that's another trick and 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 again vegetable oil you know you, i shouldn't even give that one out you, you, nobody uh-huh. listen to that that's that's nobody hear that okay and so it's uh, <laughs> so something else just, that works is if you take cheerios and mix your persimmon oil to a box of cheerios it coats them, and that gives them something to use for bait that also tastes good. Yeah, well, you're probably going to use maybe an ounce if you're if you have to use that much to a box of Cheerios. I mean, I, I said a hundred uh, traps a weekend. I will use that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, so you know, so I suck a at it, but I said a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the point you. is, you're not using a lot of that adhesive, okay? Um, no. And and what he was talking about, my persimmon oil. It's my persimmon lure. And it's a thick, it's a thick, um, whatever you want to call it. Oil. And by mixing it in, yes, yeah, it's like an oil. You you mix it in with the Cheerios or the corn or whatever, and it just coats it, and it stays on there because it's going to shed the rain, all right. But the smell is still there. And 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 your federality, what would you call it? Uh, it was uh, it's it's, it's uh, federalized. I think uh, Clint Locklear makes it. So, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. The same the same concept with all these when you when you take a bottle of lore and you look at it and you see a separation in that of that lore, or you or you go to pour it out and you see a real slow uh, oily uh, liquid type stuff, that will work great for just the process you're talking about. And the one key that I wanna point out here that's because it just bounced into my head. We're trying to get the raccoons to reach in and pull the trigger, okay? If he doesn't do it the first time, we got to get the raccoon to reach in again to pull the trigger, and again, and again, and again, and again. There are a lot of good trap line baits and lures out there, okay? But understanding what you're using is the key. For example, up until 1987, all right, and this is not an infomercial, so don't take it as this. I'm just giving you some history here. In 1987, well, New Jersey lost our foot traps in 84. We could use foot traps until 86, and at, at the time of 86, we had to start using uh, snares. We wasn't happy about using snares at that time. We didn't know how to use them, and right now we won't give them up, but at that point, we would have thrown them back to the ocean. You know, we did not want the snare. We wanted our stinking foot traps. Well, the snare wasn't working very well for most of the guys that first year because we flat out didn't know how to use them. So we went to the cage traps, and the biggest thing I found was that I couldn't catch a coon in a cage trap to save my life. Um, And the reason was I was using my best lures that I had. At that point, I was using Carmen's. I was using um, whoever, you know, these proven lures, these proven baits and lures that with a foot trap, we could catch the heck out of her. But in my box traps, I couldn't catch a cold the last with my pants down. And mm-hmm. so I, I, in 1987, 1985, I actually started working on it. Um, but in 1987, we came out with our first baits and lures for the cage traps. Now, again, this is not an infomercial. This is to bring a point, okay? The 
baits and lures that I came up with that I made was taste. Because what I found was this. Carmen's Lure, one of the best products out on the market, always has been and always will be. Okay, Carmen's Lures are great stuff. All right. But I couldn't catch nothing in a cage trap. If I made a dirt hole, I caught everything. I put it in the cage trap, couldn't catch nothing. Why? Simply this. A lot of those old-time baits and lures, okay, the purpose was to draw the animal. The directions always said, and we always knew as a trapper, you catch the animal before they get to the bait or lure, okay? Same concept with foot traps. Catch the animal before they get to the bait and lure. You know, one guy said to me last week uh, something about a lure and the animals just ain't working it. The set, and I said, "Well, why aren't you catching him?" Well, he's not working that dirt hole. I said, "You should be catching him if he's coming up the dirt hole." In other words, what I'm saying to him is, "Yes, we like the animal to work the hole. Okay, we we really do, because the longer he's working the hole, the better the chance of him stepping on that little pan. All right, but in all theory, if we got a trap positioned right, what are we doing?" When he comes up to investigate, he steps on the trap and bing, we've got him. Okay, now that, again, that's all theories, so let's not get into that thing. But the point I'm making at is those baits and lures was to pull him to the set and to give him enough enticement, if you will, to keep him there to get caught. In a cage trap, it didn't work because they didn't want to go into this negative thing, if you will. All right, they had to walk into a box or whatever. The same thing's holding true with these DP traps. I'm talking to a lot of guys that they're going out and they're using the baits and the lures that is intended for a dirt hole, it's intended for a flat set, it's intended for the catch to be made before the animal gets to the bait and lure. Okay, and then they're saying to me, the coon aren't working my sets. Well, no, they're not going to. Because as soon as he puts his his paw down in there, he he gets a little bit of that lure on its paw. He brings it up and he licks on it, and it tastes nasty. Okay, he don't go back in. If you go to my Facebook page of uh, the Rednecks Pride Game Calls and Outdoor Sense, I've got some videos of the raccoons reaching into tubes where I have I think they're Banana Supreme and a few other of the other. Uh, baits and lures, and we would use tubes prior to us getting the dog-proof traps. But I, I have always used a PVC tube to test baits and lures. That way, I could always tell what the uh, animal was going to uh, reject or, 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 or how how much he's going to take to the bait and lure. And if you look at these videos, you're going to see that the raccoons are going in. Licking their paws, going in, bringing it out, licking their paws, going in five, six, seven times. And some of those videos that's on there, the traps hadn't been baited for five days, and every night the raccoons were just coming and reaching in on an empty trap just to lick their paws on the on the on the the residue that was still down in the into the uh, PVC pipes there. All right. Yeah. You, everybody getting what I'm saying here? Yeah. Uh, I, I, you? Yeah. We need, you need to have something for these coon to keep reaching back and forth because on it, I, I've got it on video where a coon will reach into a dog proof 
five times. Never get caught, okay, and walk one off. Because he never pulled the stupid trigger. On a push-pull system, you probably got a better chance of catching that raccoon because the chances of him pushing down on the trigger is probably more probable than him pulling up on the trigger on that coon. And in other words, the coon will push down on the trigger invertibly that, that rather than grabbing hold of the trigger and pulling it up. Going back to the 80-20 concept that I mentioned earlier, 80% of the coon, or in reality, the majority of the coon are going to reach in, grab the trigger, and pull it up. Most coon are going to do that. But you're going to have a small portion, which is what the 20% represents, that has either been in a trap before and doesn't want to be back in there again, or for their personality, whatever it is, they won't grab that trigger and just pull it up. So the 20%, so how do I catch that 20%? I keep him reaching in, give him something under the trigger to grab that when he pulls it up, it forces the trigger to come up with him. Or snares. <laughs> or snares. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. We're we're. I I thought this show was going to go an hour, and we're looking at an hour. We're looking at two hours. So it was one of those things that was a good show, Bill. I thank you for getting the uh, the questions up, and unless Ron and and um, Donovan and and Kevin's still on, he's listening. He can type something in there. Um, unless you guys got something to add, we're going to wrap it up. But if you got something, no, add, it's bedtime. All right, buddy. We'll have another one in a couple weeks. That's yeah, all. we're going to get. We'll probably get rolling again. This was a. This was to get back into it again. So we'll 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 do some more trapping shows and and uh, EDC shows and hunting shows and fishing fishing shows do very well. Hunting shows don't seem to do as well for some odd reason. Because hunters um, don't talk about things anymore. And, and they're all too busy fighting amongst themselves to agree with anything. My book is the biggest. <laughs> yeah, that type of thing, you know. Um, just for an information, that this coming weekend, uh, Newt and I and Morgan, we've got our South Jersey Trapping and uh, Snaring School. That's going to be, uh, looks like it's filling up pretty good. We've got quite a few people coming, so I'm I'm. In, I'm I was kind of scared about the temperatures, you know, but... Uh, all that prayer is working out. It's going to be 50, 50, 51 on Saturday and 49 or 48 on on Sunday, so I'll take it. <laughs> going to be a tough time trying to find Tidewater Marsh for rats, though. Uh, well, hopefully hopefully it's going to, you know, with this warmer weather coming in, warmer weather. <laughs> yeah. And it hopefully breaks for that. three days and breaks everything open. Yeah, hopefully that shell ice will get off there and we'll be able to get the guys into the meadow safely and, and uh, without. I'm going to wear my chest waders. Uh, Newt and Morgan wear their hip boots, but I'm going to wear my chest waders in case i got to pull somebody they, out of the mud. Yeah, they don't have, <laughs> they're not too bright. You know? yeah. I, I would like to go down there with Morgan there just to see their meadows because they've he likes it to trap up on the dry ground with a flood tide. And... Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. The old Morgan knows his business. Uh, uh, he, yeah. he knows he knows how to catch a rat. And, and uh, he's got a nice meadow down there in Meadow, or down there in Maryland. And and um, I want to get down there and trap foxes with him, with the wild oh, fish there. I want to take that down there and just uh, – but I haven't been able to hook up with him for the last two years. We're, 
every year I tell them I'm going to go down for a week and trap with him, but it just doesn't work. But, well, if nobody else has got anything. If, if, y'all got any, if nobody else has got anything to offer, I'm going to shut what, her down. Anything? One last, one, questions? Just one, one last question. Um, I was talking to somebody else. Do you, in your you know worldly knowledge, think that boar coons are more predator than scavengers? Everybody seems to think. You're saying he's catching a lot of coons using a predator bait, which is usually meat-based. You catch a lot of coons using fruit stuff. I can't catch nothing, regardless. But um, do a lot of do, do you think that we overlook a lot of the coon? By setting by the streams instead of moving up into the thickets of the brush, well, you know, the well, brush right piles now, or the hedgerows, any time. Um, well, your majority of your coon, okay, we, we go to the water edge because that's the easiest place to see the sign. Okay, and that's that simple. Um, everybody, it's easy to see the tracks. It's easy, especially in the fall, it's easy to see the trails right next to the stream and where they're dropping down into the stream and all that stuff. But like I said earlier in the show, I'll bet you, all right, no, no, not bet you, I guarantee you, 60% of my coon come from up top, um, up on the roads away from water, where the closest water might be minimal four or 500 yards away to sometimes a mile or two, all right? Uh, cornfields are where... where the dry wash, you know, where, corn, where you get the heavy rains and then the, the, the water running off the cornfield creates a dry wash down into the, the woods bottom, sir. Um, those, those are key spots where right on that lip, right where that dry wash comes up out of that lower woods area, hits the cornfield. Man, that's where I'm going to put my dog, dog proofs and my cages. I put them right on that edge, right, right, right on that spot there. The majority of coon I catch are going to be high and dry, all right? I'm bringing all that up to say that the average coon trapper goes where? To the water sources. Um, now, when you get in Iowa, I would love to trap in Iowa. I'd love to trap out in that belt there. The water courses are their highways. But again, think about it. Their corn fields, their grain fields back up to what? The water courses whether it's a wet water course with a river or a creek or a dry wash, their cornfields back up to these, these travel routes, okay? So that's where the majority of the coon are going to run, up and down these water courses. But you get down, and I know Donovan sees it down there in Mississippi. Him dry wash? He's got, he's, he's got, well, not, probably not dry washes, but you've got a lot of water down there, but you probably see a lot of coon running between one one water source to another up on dry oh, yeah. land, correct? Yeah. Actually, something I see a lot of is um, we have a water, we'll have water, temporary water sources, and they will right. go from one, like if it rains like it is right now, you get these little ponds maybe, they're more of a big puddle than anything, and they'll have frogs and stuff in them, but as that starts to dry up, they'll go from that one, and there's another one at 100 yards, and then there's another one at 100 yards. And you got to catch them when they're going, you know, in between those. Because they'll set up at one waiting for it to dry up. And once that one dries up, they gorge themselves and with, with all, all the dead minnows or whatever in there. And then they'll go set up on their own one. So that's something. Yeah, that's another thing I've noticed. 
Well, and, and Bill, you know this from your cage traps because you know we both know where you trap and how you trap. And and anybody believe in Bill Bill Ford? Don't he said he don't catch any coons. The, the, the man catches some coons. Okay, he's just not saying. Um, but Bill, most of your sets again, you, you know it. You're high and dry. Um, you love your cages up on up on top. And and um, I'm sure Ron Deal does a lot of high and dry too up there. Uh, all but. Ron's situation is a little bit different than than here because he's surrounded. He's got the ocean on one side and a, a bay on the other, tidal creeks and everything else flowing through. So Ron, Ron, back in the, in the Hurricane Sandy, I think was wading through the deep water. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Ron's in a little bit different situation. But going back to what you said, Bill, yeah, I I think. I, I, most of my coons come from the high spots and I, and I was talking to a guy last week was talking and he was saying his coon disappeared and he's not seen a track at all. And I'm saying, well, where are you at? And he's telling me he's down in the swamps and all that. And I said, well, what's your food source in the swamp now? He goes, well, nothing. It's cold. I said, exactly. So where's the coon going to be now? They're going to be up where the food sources are going to be. They're going to be up where the travel routes are going to be. Now, the only contrary to that contradiction, that's not a better word, is the Borkoons from den site to den site will use the ice. So like right now where we're froze solid, all right, and especially with the snow, but when it's froze solid, the old Mr. Coon will jump down on that ice and he can run that ice, that, that creek that's froze solid, he can run that from point A to point B. A lot easier than he can up on the bank. Not that he won't go up on the bank, but he will run the bank. So uh, when it's frozen, I go to the streams and the high land. When it, if it's moderate cold, then I'm going to go high land because the the frogs and the and the, whatever the easy food sources that was okay are no longer. They're down in the mud and, and stuff like that. So. Find your acorn fields or your acorn patches or your corn fields or hay fields or whatever else. Well, I got I got one I got one question since we're talking sure. about dry land, if you don't mind. Um, do you believe? I, I know a lot of guys bobcat, you know, trap, and they use flags. And I see a lot of these guys picking up these really really big raccoons on their real, real flashy. Mm-hmm. Bobcat sets of all the feathers and the big mm-hmm. turkey wings and stuff. Sorry, I, I can't pronounce feather. I got, I got, I got a lift. I can't pronounce it. But do you believe that you can, if you're on dry land, that you could save some time and just flag a DP or, or two? Absolutely. And and again, that's in my in my advanced <laughs> course. Um, that is that is one of the absolute musts. High appeal, high appeal, high appeal. Kevin hit it on it with the marshmallow, but that's only what we call limited high appeal. You can see it for five feet, ten feet, whatever it is. Okay. That when I'm back to the raccoons being the predator, he brought. I'm gonna bring that part up either. Yeah. Um, actually, them flags when you see them from a distance, especially if you use a black rag like a down mm-hmm. It looks like something jumping up in the tree, a bird flying, a flittering around, a squirrel jumping. It looks like an animal. At looks just like an animal. It's the coon, in my opinion, like since Ron said, I know what I'm doing. I think the bigger, especially the bigger boar coons, see that 
and think they're going to get a nice hot meal. Don't get it wrong. I would eat a cherry pie that's cold on hot, too. So if I see one sitting out on with the smoke, I'm going after that. So like he was saying, I think the rag bouncing around. And if, another thing, if you're out with the plastic, you can actually hear that sound like bird wings. So that both sight and the sound. So yes, Don, what you're saying is the reason that I think that people are catching, they say, oh, every bobcat says, because they have the feather, they have the noise, they have the sight, they have the smell, and the coon are picking that up. I've actually watched raccoons catch rabbits. Uh, yeah. They can move. They will. They can move. They're pretty damn quick. And so that, yeah, if, if just cut, to add to that, a lot of places I've noticed they'll have, especially down here, kind of up there, duck hunting and dove hunting around this time, a little a little earlier. A lot of those birds are injured. They fly off. And I, I'm thinking what what my thought is, is a lot of these injured birds get dropped. They can't get away, and that's just another food source for raccoons. So the raccoons, if you're using a flag like what I use, I use a, about a 13-gallon trash bag. I cut it in the middle, and I, you know, rip up the ends of it. From a distance, that looks like an injured dove in a tree, just barely trying to hop it because I hang it about two feet off the ground for gray fox. From about 20 yards away, that looks like a dove that somebody shot out there and it can't get up. So what I'm thinking is that they're used to seeing, you know, every now and then they'll see one injured that somebody shot and it can't get away. And that's just, another, you know, going back to the predator thing. That's what I'm thinking. Well, coons, coons are, are, are a very big predator. People don't view the coon as a predator, but he is. And, and for ground nesting birds, okay, the, the coon is a, a, a he's terrible on them. I, I had the privilege of a few years to do uh, shorebird predator work out on the dunes on the oceans, you know, where the, for the, you know, all those shorebirds. And uh, the coon and the skunk was, the, you know, I got called in because they thought it was the fox that was killing the birds. But, you know, when I got out there and started looking at it, I said, no, nah, you got coons and skunks doing it. And the biologist at first said to me, no, it's, it's foxes. And I said, no, you got three stinking foxes on this place, and you got 50 coon and <laughs> 50 skunks, you know. Um, and then they started to see what I was talking about. Um, a coon will come and rob the nest, but if, birds, if the bird's stupid enough to stay there, he's going to kill the bird too. If the bird can get away from him, he, the bird's safe, but... But the coon is a predator, and, and we see it in, in the ADC field on a regular basis. People will call me up and say, I saw a raccoon on my roof last night. I've been hearing a noise. It's a raccoon. He's going in. And, and when I get there, I say, no, nah, you had a raccoon on your roof last night, but your problem is squirrels. Well, why do I have a raccoon on my roof? Well, he's trying to go in for dinner, all right, <laughs> because one of the things Mr. Raccoon will do in a house, especially in the spring or in the, in the, in the summer when the babies are there, or the young pinkies are there he goes in and gorges on them. okay same thing we've all seen coons climb trees or heard of coons drive uh, climbing trees and going into squirrels nests and killing the squirrels and eating them all right coons are very very big predators we just don't think of them the same as we do as a fox or a coyote or, or what have you now going back to that flagging um something i wasn't saying but you brought it up and i, I promise i would give all things out if it's directly asked Flagging is my number one method uh, for pulling coon. If I got a pool coon more than 10 feet, I'm flagging. And I'm going to use this system here. Black trash bag, 
I'm going to make a strip about four inches wide by about eight to ten inches long, all right? And I'm going to hang it off the limb, or I'm going to take a piece of uh, number 11 or number 9 wire, stick it into the ground and bring it up and bend it over and hang it off of that. And like Billy said, that that plastic trash bag, especially the colder it gets, the more noise it makes, okay? Um, And the more noise it makes, by making it four inches wide and about eight to ten inches long, the slightest breeze will catch that and will make it bounce around. Um, I would use white in what I call a dark setting, and I use black in what I call a light setting. All right. So in other words, if I'm in the middle of the woods and there's and there's no moon phase whatsoever, all right, and it's going to be a what I call a dark surrounding or a dark floor. All right, I'll usually use white at that point. If I'm on a full moon or I've got a pretty good moon phase, all right, in a field or a um, a light background with the, where the, the, the weeds are waist high and, and it's brown color, okay, I'm going to use black because black sticks out. Think about it when you're walking in the woods in the middle of the night. You see that black stump sitting there. Even in the darkness of night, you see that black stump, all right? So these raccoons can see much, much better than we can. So those two color faces I'm using, it sounds like I'm using a lot of thought. A lot of times it's just whatever I got there I'm going to use. So um, uh, same thing with, with the DP trap. If I'm in a sandy soil or a light floor covering, coloring, all right, I'm going to use a black trap or or a shiny trap. If I'm in a dark floor covering, all right, or in a stream that has a black mud, I'm going to use a white uh, trap. And if I don't want anybody to see the trap, I'm going to use a brown trap. But I'm going to go a step further. Most of the time, you're not going to see my traps because I'm going to go to an advanced method. Meaning, if I'm in a field, I will use a mound set. If I'm on a woods road where there's a lot of traffic or people are walking up and down, I'm going to actually use a dirt hole with the DP. If um, I'm along a fence row, I'm going to use a post set. Um, I've got 13 different sets that I use with dog proofs. Very, very seldom where you see me use a stupid set, meaning take the trap, shove it in the ground, bait it, and leave it out in the open like that. If I do use a stupid set, I'm also going to have an advanced set within 10 feet. Um, And most times, most times, the advanced system will outproduce the stupid set using the exact same baits and lures in both traps. And here's why. Presentation. I get a lot of guys that will call me up and say to me, I caught a ton of coon, man. I caught 20, 30 coon or five coon or whatever that number is, okay? I caught a ton of coon. And then all of a sudden, the catch stopped, but the coon are still there. They're walking right past the trap. I have to change the bait, right? What kind of bait do you have? And I say to them, nope, you're not changing your bait. You're going to use the same bait you're using. And they'll say, what? But the coon's not getting caught. I'm saying if the coon's not getting caught, 
because they're on to you. Not that they're scared, not that they're spooked, not that they're smart. They're cautious at this point, right? And I tell them, listen, change your presentation of the dog-proof trap. What do you mean? Put it into a dirt hole. Put it into a mound set. Put it into a post set. Put it into a feeder set, okay? What you're doing is you're taking this stupid thing that's sticking out of the ground that they're obviously cautious of, or they would be putting their hand in it, okay? And, and I had a guy argue with me because um, they're not scared of it. And I said, well, why aren't they putting their hand in it? <laughs> you caught 10 coons. <laughs> you, you caught 10 freaking coons. You know your bait's working, right? Yeah. Well, then, if they're not afraid or cautious of the DP, why aren't they putting their hand in there? Your bait was working for the other 10 coons. You're telling me it baits that this one coon is not working for? This one particular guy listened to me and I told him to put it into a dirt hole. He'd listen to how to put, make the dirt hole. And he come back and he says, I'm catching a coon tonight, and I'm catching a bigger coon, okay, out of the dirt hole set with a stupid set 10 feet away, and they won't touch it, all right? A lot of guys won't believe me when I'm saying that, but I say it this way. Do you take a foot trap and just throw it out on top of the ground? Well, no, why? Well, that's stupid. Exactly. Can you catch animals by taking a foot trap and throwing it up on top of the ground and putting it in front of a hole? Absolutely you can. There are going to be animals that's going to step in that in that trap, exposed. But there's also going to be animals that's never going to. So why do we cover our traps? Why do we dig our traps in? Why do we uh, make sure they're bedded solid for that 20% that may not step into it? Because I remember when I, years and years and years ago, a guy asked me, he says he's going to start trapping and I, you know, I was a hotshot box trapper back in them days. And he showed me the strap, and it was rusty. And I just looked and said, you're not going to catch a fox in that. And he goes, yeah, well, and I said, you got to do this, and you got to boil it, and you got to wax it, and you got to put do this, and you got to, you know, you got to put rubber gloves on, you got to wrap yourself in a bubble suit, and you got to do all this crap. All right. And he goes, nah, I'm just going to set it. And so the next day, he didn't have a freaking fox in that thing. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it, it may be to start thinking, all right, because I think we as strappers, we um, we view the animals as gods when, in fact, there's only 20% of them that act like gods. The 80% are pretty stupid. Going back yeah, we to my make it, point. Yeah, we, we make it hard. too complicated. We really do. Now, is there animals that will... And I know there's guys going to be listening to this and just going to freak out at this point. <laughs> um, Kevin Dan said that he doesn't believe the, the raccoon is a predator. Um, and that's one of these things. That's what makes this stuff so great because um, we can all disagree and we're probably right, all of us. <laughs> okay. I view him as a predator. Kevin Dan says, no, not really a predator. Um, doesn't really matter at this point, because we both know that they're going to eat birds. We both know that there's, if you put a flag up or you put a feather up, the raccoons will be attracted to it. Um, why? Because sight appeal or, or whatever um, is is the, the reason we know we're going to catch them. All right. But going back to we put animals as gods, 
most animals are not going to be gods, but 20% of them, which is a represent, representative number of, there's going to be a portion of the animals that will say, been there, done that, ain't doing it no more, or don't feel good about it, or I don't know about it, or whatever, and they're not going to do it. So by taking that trap, digging it into the ground, making a mound set, mound set in a field, in a cornfield, is like a magnet. It's unbelievable for coon. You've got this cornfield that's all uniform across the board there. And Coon is walking down that that road on the edge of that cornfield. And right on the edge of that road, 20 yards, 30 yards ahead of him, he sees this great big mound that's about a foot foot high and maybe two foot in diameter. Could be corn stalks, could be leaves, could be uh, hay set. Okay, and that's another thing. Um, we talked about hay bales. I got a hay bale set for, for the dog proof, whatever. That sight of that mound there, all right, is going to catch his attention, just like a flag will, just like a feather will, whatever. Now he comes up to it. Now this loose hay, grass, leaves, whatever, has a smell coming out of it. And the coon's nose is very good. Don't you don't 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 let anybody tell you that coon can't smell. Because I'm so that so they must be able to smell. <laughs> yeah. Most uh, them suckers can smell a long way, and they can smell a lot better. They're just belligerent. That's what the problem with the raccoon is. He can smell it. He's like a house cat. He can smell it. He just he's either going to be a jerk and don't care about it, or he's going to go check it out, or, or just you know whatever. But now you got a smell coming out of this thing, and you put a little bit of that landlord on top of that now. Now you've got a now you've got a territorial thing. Now you've got a sweet smell or, or a food smell coming out of that. That's what I call you can't have it. All right. I got a technique with a cage trap that when I get a raccoon that just keeps springing the trap and he won't get caught. First thing I'll do is I'll turn the trap totally around. I'll take the, uh, where the, where the back of the trap was, I'll flip the trap around. So now the door of the trap is where the back is. And if that doesn't work, what I'll do then is I'll take the trap and I will load it up with all kinds of baits and whatever. Man, I'll make that sucker just load it up. And I shut the trap down. I just let it sit there. And then I'll wait. Sometimes it's a day. Sometimes it's five days. But at some point, that Mr. Coon is going to get pissed off. And he's going to flip that trap. He's going to push the trap. He's going to move the trap. And as soon as I see the trap moved... I immediately reset it in the same spot, open the door, and nine times out of ten, I'll have Mr. Coon in that thing tomorrow morning, all right? Because it's what I call, can't have it. You just, they got, it's like a trash can. How many hours will they work on a trash can to get into a trash can? As soon as they get into the trash can, they take off. But they just spend an hour and a half trying to get into the trash can. Same thing with that mound set. You don't see it, but you know something's there, and it just drives them nuts to where they say, I've got to figure this out. Same thing with a dirt hole, and we'll use uh, feathers over top of the dirt hole. Now, in New Jersey, guys, I want you to know this. For snares, we cannot use bait within 30 feet of a snare. 
but with all other traps we can. So if it's a cage trap, if it's a dog-proof trap, um, we can use exposed bait. We just cannot use exposed bait within 30 feet of a snare. So don't get yourself in trouble, guys. Um, but I'll use the feathers. I use a feather a lot of times if I just want visual. If I want visual and sound, I want to use a trash bag or some type of a plastic uh, flag. Also, another thing is the fox trapper. Kevin just said, your fox instincts is coming out. And I started laughing when I read that. But, um, you know, that little tinselly, pretty little Christmas stuff that they have that's shiny and, and that fox trapper like to use. It's unbelievable hanging that over top of a um, uh, deep D trap, how much that works, or that shiny Christmas uh, ribbon. Same thing, you know, tinsel, regular tinsel. I've used, back in the day, I've used tinsel, and that's going to get a little gross here, but back in the day, um, we've used a lot of used tampons. Uh, back in my younger days when my wife didn't know what I was doing, I would ask, you know, we won't get into that. But anyway, it, it, it worked, okay, because of the smell. So I'm sure if anybody out there wants to try a used tampon, it would probably work the same way. <laughs> 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 if, if, you, if you keep their ADD busy, you'll keep them at the set. Exactly, exactly. So the more the more sense, the more visual, the more everything that you use, you'll keep them there. So, and if you don't want to paint your traps white, if you go to the craft store and you buy some of that glow in the dark paint, it works pretty good too. Just saying. Just saying. All right. And here's a question for me to you, Ron, because I used that glow in the dark paint and it didn't work. Now they're telling me you have to put a base underneath that. Is is that have have you? How do you make the glow? Because mine don't glow. <laughs> it don't work, man. It don't uh, glow. What's, what's, yeah, it don't glow. I sprayed it down, and one guy told me that you're going to put a white base primer underneath and then spray your glow-in-the-dark paint on there. Is that true or not true? I didn't have a problem. I, my tra- my dukes are brown. And then you just sprayed them with the uh, glow-in-the-dark, and it worked. Well, it, it it comes in a little jar. It was kind of like uh, I brushed it on. It wasn't a spray. Oh, I use I use the spray paint. I use the the, the glow in the dark paint out of a spray can. So maybe that's. Oh what yeah, no, this it. this was like a yeah, and then you could take a Mod Podge, which is kind of like a glue. Yeah. And cover it over the top so that it doesn't, you know, wash off or. Oh, no, okay. I, I, well, yeah, I didn't have a. Coat. Yeah, I didn't have a problem, but it, I brushed it on. I didn't. It didn't spray on. Okay. All right. Well, speaking uh, of wrapping them, wrapping them in tin foil works. Also works. Um, uh, doesn't last long, <laughs> but <laughs> you can you can wrap them in, in tin foil. Um, uh, a ball of tin foil on the bottom. Here's another little trick I, I've done. You take the you take a tin foil. You put your bait and lure inside the tin foil. And wrap your tinfoil and shove it underneath the uh, the, the uh, trigger. Um, he he will pull that tinfoil apart to get that to the bait and lure. Um, it's it's there's think out of the box when it comes to dog proofs. Think out of the box and always think get him in as far as you can. 
In other words, I don't want a Paul catch. I mean, if you're a catch, I want a – me personally, I'm always reaching for a forearm. I want him so far into that trap that when he springs it, I got him by the forearm. That way, when he makes his first pull, it snugs up at his wrist. Um, if I get him across the pad, I'm happy. But if I can get him across the wrist, I'm happier. Wow, everybody went quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was listening. I was I was enjoying myself. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more topics for other shows. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm forced. Like really, <laughs> trying not to hang this phone up. But I got to go. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> All right, Billy, take it easy. It's 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 two and a half hours. This, this show went long. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna pull the plug up. But I want to yeah, thank we, you we guys. We can't be that interested. Uh, well thank you guys for getting on here uh donovan i hope i hope to have you on a lot more shows you you add a lot of stuff to it kevin always adds kevin's up there writing all kinds of stuff on on it um and he he agrees that thinking out of the box is the key there um ron thank you for getting on and you know ron when we get into some bobcats or something like that we'll get back into you talking about nevada and, and you trapping them and all that area out there that adds some insight to us here so with that all being said i want to thank everybody for coming on i don't know how i don't know how interesting we was to listen to but i had a pretty good time talking um so thank we want to thank god for the creation he's given us and the, and the activities that we can have out in the in god's creation Thank you for listening to Rednecks Pride Outdoors. And until next time, guys, we'll see you later. Have a good one. All right. See you now. Bye-bye. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.